Hello and welcome to another Up Off the Couch podcast. Um, today I have left the Up Off the Couch studios and I'm on location at Kinetic Heights, which is a full service Spartan and Tough Mudder training center. Um, and I'm here to talk with Jim Guimond, who is a uh, founder of his own fitness business, Get Fit Charlotte, and is founder and a co-owner of Kinetic Heights. And the reason why I wanted to come here and talk to Jim is because Jim was my trainer in 2015 when I made the first steps to finally and permanently get up off the couch. And Jim was uh, absolutely instrumental in that. And what made him, in my view, so unique and so good as a personal trainer was his ability to really relate to me and teach me where I was at the time, which was someone who was totally sedentary, had no sustained, reliable history of an active life. And he knew not, not only how to meet me where I was physically, which was really right at the beginning, but he knew how to meet me where I was mentally and emotionally, which is someone who really didn't have any, any routine, any ritual, any history of having an active life. And really, I've worked with a lot of trainers before Jim who, who didn't understand the importance of that and also how to deal, how to really communicate with someone um, at that level. Because my experience with most trainers, I mean, they're all obviously very accomplished athletes at something. That's why they chose a career of, of fitness and personal training. And they, they really don't know how to relate to someone who's always been sedentary because they've never been sedentary. Now, in Jim's case, he, he meets all of those criteria. He was accomplished as a, a bodybuilder and a weightlifter earlier in life, um, and really has never had a period of inactivity, which you know is common to trainers. They always led an active life, yet somehow, and I don't know exactly how, but that's what we're going to explore today, somehow Jim knew uh, how to meet me where I was physically, but also how to create a really, um, a really powerful emotional um, desire in me to, to stay fit and active. And, and he had a lot of ways to do that, a lot of ways to be encouraging. You know, whenever I would have a tough week of not being very active, you know, he was, he was really aware of what my natural negative monologue would be, you know, after a period of, you know, like four or five days of just not getting it done. And he knew exactly how to talk to me to, to encourage me and to, to get me back on the horse. And it, it was, uh, we worked together for eight months, um, after which time, from a professional standpoint, he was entirely a victim of his own success because I fell in love with the sport of triathlon and then went on to, to specialize in that. But none of that would have been possible without the uh, eight months I spent with Jim, which was really the scariest eight months of my life because of uh, you know, that medical diagnosis that really scared me straight, as it were. Into, into developing um, a healthy lifestyle. So uh, we're here at Kinetic Heights with Jim Guimond. Um, Jim, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, glad to be here. Um, thank you for uh, inviting me over to talk to you. The, uh, you know, the po podcast is really designed to be uh, educational, but really motivational and inspirational uh, the, because the educational part uh, it can come from me. Yeah, I'm, I'm still really, I view myself as a beginner athlete um, the fact that I can use the word athlete and my own name in the same sentence is it still feels really weird to me. But you know, as as you said, after a after a half Ironman and you know now done eight triathlons, you know I kind of have to accept uh, the moniker. 
Um, but I'm still a beginner. I'm still pretty slow, but I, but I get it done. And a lot of that is because of the work that we did in the, in the first eight months. So what I wanted to know, and what I've really always wondered is, is like with the background you have, because you started, you did bodybuilding in high school. That's correct. And you, you stopped doing that, I think, just because of all, you were very competitive with it. And that was the era, era of, of anabolic steroids. Yes, yeah, that's correct. So then you moved into other, other fields of athletic endeavor. Um, how did you know when you started with me how to reach somebody who had zero aerobic base, no muscular strength, no muscular endurance, and, and no emotional, you know, mental mindset that is prone to lead to success in, a, in an active lifestyle? Yeah, well, you know, I've done a lot of study about the sports psychology of fitness, and I really uh, believe that um, the why is more important than the how. Uh, and so, Understanding and empowering athletes uh, comes from just kind of finding out what makes them tick and learning how to set up set up rituals and practices that reinforce that and build uh, self-esteem because it's a lot of what it comes down to. And when we value ourselves, we um, we tend to be more uh, motivated to, to improve. And so a lot of times there is a series of... Um, issues that have been a barrier in performance um, and once we can get a look at um, what those um, breakthroughs need to be then that's the foundation of, of becoming more fit. One of the mantras that I have is uh, move the body to shift the mind and so that's kind of what we started with is just getting moving, set a baseline and build your confidence level to the point where you felt that being an athlete was something possible for you because up to that point and you kind of weren't in that space no I, I think it's fair to say that I had a very negative mindset um, and really very frightened like I mean this this was the one time that I knew I really had to do something because you know with the diagnosis of type 2 diabetes which um, I, I received in uh, end of April 2015 I, I mean I wasn't prepared to accept all the, the horrible and, and unfortunately inevitable consequences if not changing my lifestyle but like every time I've worked with someone in the past they've always approached me as you know like really they approached me as an athlete who just wasn't as good as they were so they, they were thinking you know if I can do X then this guy can do half X or 40% of X or 30% of X but X was like the wrong category you know for me whatever X happened to be it was it was wrong you know I couldn't I couldn't hold that kind of schedule and I, and I couldn't do it. You know, the, the trainers would meet with me, you know, once a week or maybe even twice a week, but it wasn't like the kind of consistent feedback. Like what really helped with the way of working with, with Jim was, um, you know, we kept a daily log through, uh, you know, at that point through Polar Flow. Um, the first thing Jim did was got me a Polar M400 watch and we synced it to Polar Flow and um, every every weekend or every Monday, rather, I'd get an email on uh, summarizing the week, and that was that was critical. Yeah, I mean the accountability part is, is huge. You know, to find out where you are, make a realistic expectation, see some progress toward that, and so having the technology to uh, to track that um, and then use that data to kind of project what we're going to do next. So I think it's really important part 
of any training program and, and, and really assists in the motivation. Nothing be, you know, creates success better than success. So being able to see that we hit our marks each week and, you know, where the breakthroughs were and projecting what we're going to do next, I think is, you know, it's essential for any athlete to progress, especially an athlete coming off the couch with absolutely no history. You're kind of establishing that history week by week. And as you begin to accomplish these set up tasks that are realistic and measurable, that's where a lot of the self-confidence comes from and that's where it opens up new possibilities for what's next. I mean, when we first started, I don't think you had any inkling about doing a half Ironman. I think it was just God scared straight and I got to do something and we started to build it. And then after we got to the eight month mark, we had built some confidence in, in the understanding in you that, hey, this is a sustainable thing. This is something I think I could do built enough confidence. I mean, that's how I've always operated is empowering people, you know, teaching you about your body and opening up the opportunities and then being able to see a progression of success um, to open up possibility. And so I think the sports psychology part of any fitness program is as important as the exercises that you do. Yeah, I think this is really where a lot of personal trainers fall short, you know, in, in my life. Nobody really approached the training as anything more than like a weekly, you know, thing to do. You know, like we, we had, um, you know, really small goals at first, like to be able to survive an entire 45-minute spin class. I mean, I remember the first gym uh, used to be a spin instructor, and that's, that's how we started, just doing spin classes. And then in the summer, um, I, I dusted the cobwebs off my old bike, and did, I remember my, my first 20 mile weekend ride, it took, uh, I don't know, probably two and a half hours, including breaks. And uh, it was kind of a struggle to get back. And then we built on that to 25 and 30 miles. And then we did 24 hours of booty together in July of 2015. I've now done that charity ride three times um, in support of the 24 Foundation here in Charlotte. Um, and it, it was, Slowly but surely, it was a development of, of some skill and some confidence and development of a community for the very first time. And community, for me, is what created the entire impetus for continuing. The community aspect was critical. And a lot of that really started with booty. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the purposefulness of finding something that really speaks to you and connecting your fitness to that is a breakthrough. And you experienced that at 24 hours. That not only could you do something good for yourself, but it could be meaningful and impactful for others at the same time. It just adds a whole nother um, layer of potential motivation. I mean, I've done that for many years myself and learned that through doing the MS rides and booty and countless other charity yeah, events. I mean, so, you know, I thought that that was a pretty critical point in your development is to get to the point where this is a little bit bigger than just me. Yeah, to be able to, to ride over 75 miles over the course of, you know, an, an evening and then a, a morning and an afternoon was, you know, that was, that was pretty big. Yeah, so then 
an Ironman or even a triathlon starts to look a little bit more realistic. It did. Think, after, right? it, was after, it was after 24 hours of booty at the end of July that I was like, hmm, I want, because I'd always had in my head that I wanted to try a sprint triathlon. So I think we thought of doing the Lake Norman Y um, sprint, which was at the end of August. And then we thought, you know, that's not really enough time. So we thought we'll do the Cane Creek Sprint, which unfortunately doesn't exist anymore, but was a great local race, uh, not too far from my house in Union County, North Carolina. And then we said, okay, that's the end of September. We have uh, all of August and three weeks of September. Maybe we can put together uh, a, a plan that can have me swim 750 meters. Fortunately, I knew how to swim. Uh, I wasn't a strong swimmer, but I, I didn't have to like learn how to do a front crawl. Uh, the bike, we knew I could do a 14-mile bike. And the 5K run, we didn't really do much running because a lot of our program was designed to do like really non-load-bearing, non-impact yes. activity. So uh, I think the run right up until the race was the big mystery. Would I be able to run? Yeah, I can, uh, I can remember being out at Cam Creek uh, one afternoon, the first time we ever kind of ran. Um, we had to walk some and... Um, but I thought that was also another part of our whole process was for me to kind of be alongside you. Um, so we went for bike rides and we did a few runs and we didn't really, except for that one time swim, but I think the important part is that, um, we set up some, an assessment at the beginning, said, here's where we are. And we set up these measurable, trackable goals for you to, and every time you completed one it opened up a little more possibility and 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 how that happens is the self-talk that you had in your head that kept you on the couch started to change to a conversation that got you off the couch because you started to believe that you could actually accomplish this because i think that's where a lot of people break down is they they try it and they don't have the kind of support and they don't understand kind of the, the mindset side of things. And so they get caught in the workout rather than the purpose of the workout. And I think that happens to a lot of people in fitness nowadays that you're so concentrated on what you're doing instead of why you're doing it that you, after a while, I remember a conversation that we had when we said, we talked about the fact that if the will to do it is bigger than the obstacles that you come up against, then you're going to win. You know, and so you have to have a big enough reason to get through all those obstacles, especially as an Ironman. I mean, it is a totally mental. And yeah, it was all a mental exercise in pain management and in, uh, in course management, in nutrition management, which was the one thing that worked perfectly all day. It was, I really had my nutrition nailed then. Um, you know, but just talking about it now and then thinking back to the week before Cane Creek Sprint, my first try, uh, Jim and I went out to the lake and we did a little dry run. We did a little swim and then we did a little uh, bike ride. We biked the whole course, which was a 14 mile course. And then we did a run. We probably did about a, only like 1.2 or 1.3 miles of the run. And I was pretty winded after that. And that was just the week before the race. I'm like, you know, how am I going to run a 5K on race day? But I, I certainly at least knew I could do the swim. And I knew I could do the bike. The bike in and of itself, not that hard. 
and the 5K run, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. And it was, it was a big mystery right up until I, I stepped off the bike in transition um, at that race. But going back to booty, which is kind of what people in Charlotte colloquially, colloquially call 24 hours of booty because it's a loop around Queens University that is affectionately known as the booty loop for uh, obvious reasons. And if it's not obvious to you, you're not, I'm not going to explain it. Um, but, but it, you know, it's, it's a real Charlotte institution, that ride, um, for the 24 Foundation, which assists um, patients and, and families of patients suffering from cancer. And it's, it's a great community ride. But it was really after that ride, I think I did like 78 miles or something, which um, was this big achievement at the time. And, you know, I learned that I'd really progressed a lot. So at that point, we'd been working together for three months. And already there was like a mental shift because it was after that ride that I said, you know, I always wanted to do a triathlon and, and, and let's do it. And, and what, what did you think at, at that point? I knew you got it. I knew after three months? After booty, you know. Um, I mean, I, I kind of felt like we were going to get where we wanted to go because we built it right. We started with being purposeful because a lot of, you know, those big challenges that are scary, once you accomplish them, they kind of build the self-esteem that it takes. Because behind being on the couch is a series of things that have occurred in your life that have convinced you that you're not an athlete and it's not possible. Um, and so I think that what was really important for you was to take it step by step, one workout at a time, and we stayed in communication. I think those weekly um, coaching sessions via email, I think that the, um, the daily blog, I think was really important. Yeah, I still read the daily blog. Yeah. Jim has a newsletter that he sends out every morning. Um, to everyone who subscribes, and uh, that was pretty important. Um, what was that book that we read at the start, uh, Younger Next Year? Yes. Younger yeah. Next Year was pretty important. I'm going I'm to put a link to that book on the, on the website. Yeah, absolutely. That's a foundational type of understanding. Um, it's part of what I do with all my clients. I think it is a great explanation of how your body works and the reason why you need to be active. Yeah, because what Younger Next Year talks about is how you know, we have our biological age, which obviously you can only change it in one direction, and that's getting older. And no matter what you do every day, you're going to get a day older. However, there's a metabolic age that is in our control to change. And although we're going to get one year older chronologically every year, we do not have to get a year older biologically every year. You know, the foundation is, is kind of like five days of cardio and one, one or two days of, of weights. And the, the more you progress down the inactive life, the older you get, the, the harder it is to remedy and, and, to, and to make that change. Like I feel um, as, as horrible and terrifying as it was to get diagnosed with type 2 diabetes at, uh, at 44, um, I feel really lucky because it was just in time. Like it was very severe. Like my A1C was 13.7% which for, for those of you who don't know how the A1C table works, off the chart is, is usually a figure of speech. Um, I actually looked at a chart that did not have a number that high on it. Like it was, I was literally off the chart of, of what people use for 
manageable diabetes, you know, like, so it was, it was really severe, but it was very, it was very recent. Like I got, I caught it pretty soon after my blood sugar level started to fall off that cliff. Um, so there was no permanent microvascular damage, which is the, the big issue with diabetes is the sugar collects and causes damage. I feel like we caught it just in time and I am, I'm younger now at, you know, at 47 than I was at 44 from the, from the biological state, like, you know, my resting heart rate when I get up in the morning is now in the low fifties. I don't even know what it would have been in the year that I yeah. started. I mean, I, I could have had a resting heart rate in the seventies, which, which is really high for like waking up, lying down in bed. Right. Um, and, and it's, it's been two and a half years now, I guess, of, of this kind of lifestyle. And when I, when I look at the things I can do, you know, I had a, a pretty disappointing year this year and a, a lot of injuries. Um, and it kept me from a lot of, I had a huge year in 2016. I planned another huge year for 2017. All of it fell apart. Um, in August, I, I did do the Lake Norman Y sprint. And I remember like when I was driving uh, to Davidson, uh, to the race, thinking, you know, I didn't really train for this. I mean, I was doing constant exercise all year. But, like, we didn't do anything in particular to train for the sprint. Like, I, I have the odd swim workout. I did a lot less swimming this year than last year. Um, I, I did a lot of biking because you can always bike. And I didn't do really all that much running because with the knee issues, the running was really what we stayed away from the most. But I didn't really worry about finishing the race. Like, it was the way I thought up in my head, it's just a sprint because my benchmark now is, is a 70.3. It's a half iron distance. It's a half marathon after a 56-mile bike after a 1.2-mile swim. So to do the 750-meter swim in Lake Norman, and then the I think it was 12 and a half miles this year because they shortened the course. They moved the whole race up to Ingersoll Rand from the Lake Norman YMCA. You know, so to do a 750-meter sprint and then a 12.7-mile bike and then a 5K run, like, it's not like it was no big deal because, like, it's, it's still, you know, a two-hour workout for me. Like, I'm not, not going to finish any sprint triathlon in much under two hours, um, especially this year, you know, with the inconsistency that I faced in training. But doing the race itself was, was in a sense, no big deal. It was, like, a, just a fun way to get back into setting up a transition area and, you know, moving through the swim and T1 and the bike, T2 and the run, and a finish line. Like that was really the only point of the race. And I thought, wow, that's such a huge shift, right? From where I was when we were like, you know, can I do a 5K run at the end of a sprint triathlon at Cane Creek? And another huge shift from like, can I do a half iron? Which came as the sixth race in a, in a six triathlon year in 2016. Um, so, so it was just a huge shift. And, and I, guess, I guess you're right in a way um, it kind of all started at 24 Hours of Booty in July of 2015. When you accomplish something like that, doing a half Ironman, it's, it's, it's going to shift who you are as a person, all right? Because you, we really don't realize how powerful we are until we kind of push ourselves to this point that we didn't think we could do. So now that you have that understanding of what you can actually accomplish, the strength of your mind is going to carry you. And that's really where athletic endeavor meets 
like an Ironman challenge or a Spartan or something but like that. But how did you know to do that with someone who was just diagnosed diabetic at 44? Well, we just, we just started um, this whole concept of, of called progression, right? Where we kind of take you where you are. What happens with a lot of trainers is they train you the way they train themselves, right? And as you get, you know, I've been a personal trainer and a master trainer for 25 years. And so I've made every mistake there is to make. But I think where we really succeeded is we had a commitment between the two of us that we were going to do this. You know, the, the weird thing is we still kind of do. Like I haven't yeah. worked with Jim since Christmas really of 2015. But I, I don't think there's ever really been a period where you haven't been around um, with what's going on. You know, certainly last year um, when I was training for the half, uh, you know, we did a few laps at Booty, but like, you know, you've always been around. Um, yeah, I've really appreciated that. Well, I mean, I, I think that the reason it really worked is that we had a really authentic relationship. I would agree with that. You know, where we could be honest. Um, with each other, I, I know that some of the conversations that that we had in those really difficult spots when we first got started, and it's like, wow, I'm, I'm not really sure I can do this thing, which was terrifying, because, right? Because it's I not mean, like before where the consequence of not doing it means I'll, I'll just go back and binge watch Netflix. Like the consequences of not being life active, and death, right? Literally, life and death. I mean. You know, the only question was how long I had, not what was going to happen, because the bad things were going to happen at that at that level. Yeah, of and you know, illness. and I've seen other individuals who just say, "I'm just going to go down in flames because this is too hard." And people that can't quit smoking or whatever. But I think you know, one of the really important things is this whole conversation that we have in our head about who we are. You made an amazing transformation in being able to shift how you think about yourself. And I think that was a pretty important, and again, you know, coming back to 24 hours, I can't tell you how important that was. That's one of the reasons why we talked about that particular event, is because I knew it was a possibility for a breakthrough for you to be able to see yourself differently. You know? Um, and I think that the reason I write my daily blog is because that conversation has to be reinforced. And that's what we did in that process of communication and reinforcement and realistic um, goal setting and accomplishment. All those things together um, started to create the shift in, in how you think about yourself. So now, I had just had an expectation that you can pretty much do whatever you decide to do. And I think you almost are in that space where you can start to believe that to be true. I mean, you would have never been able to do a half Ironman if you didn't have some belief that you could step outside yourself a little bit and do something that you've never done before. And I think, you know, that was, that was a key understanding for you. It was, although I think a lot of what propelled me to pick that race was, was an absolute and total ignorance of what would be involved. And I, <laughs> and I sat down with, um, with Kelly uh, in, 
I guess right around Christmas 2015, and I brought a little spreadsheet of all the stuff that you and I had done together over the eight months from May to December, and every every race I did, like the you know 24 hours of booty, how long it took me to do a 5K, how long it took me to, to do a, a 10K just on my own, um, how long it took me to do that sprint triathlon, and I brought this chart, and, and I met her, uh, at, at a Starbucks and I said, you know, like, so here's what I've done before May. You can assume there's nothing. Um, can you get me from here to beach to battleship half in 10 months? And, and she looked at the chart. I, I don't know like how much she really studied it. And she just kind of looked at it and said, absolutely. I can get you there. And when she said that, I thought, Oh, well, if she's that confident about it, maybe it's not as hard as I thought it was going to be. But, um, you know, I, I did not realize how deceptive uh, coaches and trainers can be when they're planning and, and plotting uh, deviously how to get their clients to the goals that their clients have selected. And then, But I learned throughout the year. And the mental shift, um, it, it really started long before the half Ironman. It really started at the first international distance race that I did in Pinehurst. Because that was, that was the half Ironman of, of that period. For Absolutely. me, like it was as hard in many ways to do an Olympic distance triathlon in, in May of 2016 as it was to do the half Ironman in October of 2016. You know, like, and I, I felt it on the run course because the run course was Pinehurst is very hilly. Uh, um, I was a very heavy guy back then. I'm still a pretty heavy guy now. The one area that I haven't been able to conquer yet is really nailing down nutrition in combination with the high workload that comes with the triathlon training. That is something that, you know, I've been working on throughout this year now that I've had a reduced training volume. But the I remember being on the run course and just really hurting and saying, all I have to do is not stop. And I said that for a long time. That was an hour and 20 some odd minutes for the 10K on that, on that course. Probably about 450 feet of climbing, which is a lot, you know, for a 10K run course. It's, it's pretty significant hills. Um, uh, started because from then on I knew that so long as I did the training that I would be able to finish the race I, I knew I wouldn't be fast but I knew I'd be faster than eight and a half hours yeah I, I knew that if I just did what I was told um, which is one of the big benefits of getting coaching um, especially for really 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 stretchy goals like a full Ironman or a half Ironman um, really helps to have somebody like to keep you accountable, but also to give you the confidence that you know that you know you're doing the right things towards accomplishing your goal. You know that that's how we did the Cane Creek Sprint in 2015. That's how I did this really long 10 month progression from you know from coach to half Ironman in 2016. Yeah, you know specificity of having some metrics. I think this, the technology was a huge um, advantage for getting you off the couch and being able to see just a steady progression of improvement. Um, I think it was really important too. It, it's really important to have a log of what you're doing and to be able to add things up and to com compare and contrast um, just so you could motivate yourself by seeing the miles adding up. Like this year, for example, which is a very down year, um, and really without a lot of running, um, I realized on Sunday, I had a long run on Sunday, um, and I realized that, I, hey, on Tuesday night, 
run class. I'm going to pass 200 miles for the year. And that shocked me. I had no idea that I'd come anywhere close to 200 miles with all the, all the injuries and all the stopping and starting this year. And, you know, still in a down year, 200 miles of, uh, of running, and I'm over 750 miles cycling, which is less than half of, of last year, but perfectly fine for what we ended up doing this year. And uh, I would say a nominal amount of swimming, probably uh, about under 20 miles of swimming this year, compared to the 60 miles that I did last year in preparation uh, for the half Ironman. But, you know, I really looked at it as a positive. Like, I was actually surprised, because in my head, I thought I've done nothing this year. You know, because injury after injury, all the races got scrapped. I had a half marathon I was going to do. I had my second half Ironman that I was going to do. Everything got scrapped. So, so I felt in my head like I didn't do anything. So it was actually very encouraging to see, you know, that nothing that I thought I was doing was was really like, you know, over a thousand miles of biking and running. And that's when I realized, you know, no matter how uh, bad things got this year, I realized that I didn't stop any other period in my life. I mean, this would have been exactly the year where I would have said, you know what? I was right. I'm not meant to be an athlete. I'm not meant to be active. I'm meant to be on that couch. That would have been exactly my mindset in any other year. Yeah, when you start to see yourself as an athlete, and I can remember after Cane Creek, you finally started to understand and see yourself as an athlete. Yeah, because the the big mystery, right, that we've been talking about uh, tonight is how was I going to do on the run? Because we didn't have any... I think we had a single 5K run that whole year until that day. And certainly we didn't have one after a swim and a bike. So I was like, how am I going to do this run? And, you know, once you're at the race, that, that question becomes very pointless and hypothetical because you were going to find out. And, and I ran the whole 5K. And I held like 11-something, I think, pace. So I think it was like a 34, 35-minute 5K and I felt pretty good. Like I remember, and I think that feeling is what I wanted from the half Ironman. Like I, like I think I did that race because I really wanted to, to put a stake in the ground um, for, for my fitness and to really banish uh, the demons of, of like a lifetime of inactivity. I felt if I can do one half Ironman, then I could, I could banish those demons forever. And you know what? It, it, it kind of did. Yeah, I mean, um, it just kind of points out how really important it is to draw your line in the sand. For you, it was triathlons. You got to be willing to fight for yourself. And until you change your mindset that you're worth the fight, it's not going to happen. You know, I'm glad you mentioned that because I think a lot of people who lead sedentary lives, and I know this was absolutely the case with me, um, we tend to sublimate our own needs for the needs of, of other people around us. Like, especially if, you know, I'm a dad, two kids, um, really, really demanding job, and there's always a lot of really good, justifiable, rational excuses to give your time to other people. You know, when you're a parent, giving your time to your kids is not inappropriate. That's our job. However, it's also our job to, to take care of ourselves and to take care of ourselves so that we can be better 
and taking care of everyone else who we have a legitimate responsibility to care for. And I never, I never really felt like I was worth taking care of for myself. I felt like, you know, my wife was worth it, my kids were worth it, my clients and my bosses were worth it. And, you know, when all of them were taken care of, then I would come next. And that's a really great way to end up diabetic at 44 and 80 pounds overweight, you know. And it was really at Pinehurst where for the first time it kind of like this emotional shift took place where I was like, I have the right to be out here. You know, I was dead last. The first two races I did in 2016 were, were both international distance triathlons, which in, in some ways I had no business doing and in other ways were the perfect thing for me to do. Um, and at, uh, at Blues Lake, it was, it was a pretty nasty race just because the weather was, was unusually horrific. It was about 40 degrees. They had to cancel the swim. So that was really just kind of survival mode for, for the race. Like I was proud to finish, but more because like I survived the weather than necessarily than, than that I survived the course. But at Pinehurst, like when I finished that, everyone waited around. Like the bleachers were full. Everyone was waiting for the last person to cross the line. Um, and, that, and that was me. And I realized like, you know, this is really a community of people who are competing mostly against themselves not really against each other. They want everybody to succeed. And you really see that at Ironman. Like if anyone um, has an opportunity to volunteer at, um, which I did this year at Ironman Chattanooga, or just to go and and hang out at the finish line at an Ironman, it's a really unique atmosphere because people are, are so supportive and so positive and like there's so much energy and uh, I mean, it's it's a great experience. I, I highly recommend it. The only danger in, in volunteering is that it eventually, I think, costs you seven hundred and fifty dollars in Ironman entry fees. Yeah. When you know you, when you want to do your own race, which um, yeah. yeah, I am probably going to end up doing it at some point. I think next year uh, we're going to see how Mont Tremblant half goes, and then think about two thousand nineteen. Yeah, I mean. The whole part of the community, um, when you see a whole line of people standing there encouraging you, um, it gives you this kind of sense that, hey, you know what, I'm, I'm worth this. Um, and I think that that is such a powerful message that you need to understand because the reason those people are standing there is they've been the same place. They've been in that dark place where I'm not sure I can do this. I mean, I can remember my first half Ironman. Um, my, I knew my daughter was waiting for me at the finish line. So there was no question in my mind ever that I wasn't going to finish. I mean, I had cramps that day. I had, I had a good swim and a good bike. Was that at Augusta? That was at Augusta. Yeah, that could be a hot... And so, I mean, I started cramping right off the bike, and I knew it was going to be a tough day. It was my first one. Um, but knowing that my girl and my wife were waiting for me was a huge motivation. So when you start talking about, um, in this mindset that the healthier you are and the more powerful you are, the better you show up for all the people in your life that you care about. And when I started thinking in that way, I, I started looking at things that previously 
weren't possible for me. To, you know, now I do double centuries and Spartan races and all these other things that still scare me because they're not easy. But I know that, you know, there's something a little bit bigger at play than just doing this race. You know, I went down and took a team to a Spartan beast race this weekend and um, six of them was their first, the first one they ever did. Just like you did with your half Ironman. When you get done with an experience like that in life, you start to begin to understand that you're way more powerful than you believed. You know, creating all of those uh, accomplishments built this whole sense of confidence and empowerment and self-esteem and every athlete that's ever competed in anything, it all, it all starts with this belief that it's possible. Otherwise, you're just going to stop on the run the first chance you get. I still have that. Like, like even like in a 90-minute in a slow aerobic long run, like I still want to stop sometimes, you know, but I don't. And like there's no finish line or crowd or volunteers or or aid stations, you know, to carry you through. It's just, it's just kind of, you, you start at something and you you know, barring injury, you're going to finish it. Absolutely. And you have learned that about yourself from all of these different experiences that you've had. Yeah, for sure. So that understanding is still with you. So now it powers you through. Um, yeah. Cause now I've done many slow, painful, hot, humid long runs. Like, it's uh, just another run. It's just another run. Right. And it's Sunday, so it's run day. You know, just like Saturday is bike day. That, that's kind of how my, my schedule usually works. Saturday's long bike and Sunday's long run. And the, the routine and ritual of that, you know, it's pretty ironclad at this point. And it's only, yeah. been, it's only been two and a half years. And I, I certainly couldn't see that when we started I mean I was mostly just scared about my own survival and the consequences of not sticking with our, our four to five hours a week of working out that's really where we started you know a spin class yeah. here a weight session there a, a group ride like a 25 mile 30 mile group ride on the weekend um, and we just we just built it from there and, and I guess that's like the message that I wish I could bottle for other people to find themselves in the situation that I was in in 2015 is that you really can do it. You can't do everything all at once and you can't actually do anything all at once, but you can do something. And one of, one of my blog posts um, from the last two weeks is called Don't Do Nothing. And that's kind of one of my, one of my mantras of when I really don't feel like doing anything. I'm like, you know, you don't have to do everything that, that's been assigned. Just don't do nothing. Just show up at the, at the start of whatever it is that's planned. And if you feel crappy, then you'll do 10 minutes. And what you'll find is you never actually do 10 minutes once you're out there. The, I'm a huge believer in the challenges of Newton's first law. You know, that a body in motion stays in motion and a body at rest stays at rest. And one of the things that surprised me when I found this community of, of cyclists and runners and triathletes, um, I always used to think there are two types of people in the world. There are the people who like exercising and the people who don't. And I was one of the people who don't. And I was always, I felt it was very unfair that I had to adopt this hobby I don't like just to be healthy. 
you know, like I like other things. I like, you know, I like flying airplanes. I like playing music. You know, I like playing board games. I like, you know, watching movies with my kids. Why do I have to work out? You know, like if, if you like cycling and running and doing crazy triathlon races, then good for you. But what is, why do you get to be healthier? And then when I got out and started doing things and started, you know, meeting people, I realized like no one actually likes the thought of working out when they're in bed at six o'clock in the morning. And that was, I, I know it sounds, it must sound kind of obvious, but that was a huge revelation to me. I really thought that the people who were out there on the greenway at, at you know, six, seven a.m. on a Saturday and Sunday were there because they love running. And, and certainly some of them do love running. Maybe even some of them love early morning running, but many of them don't. Many of them are out there for exactly the same reason that I'm now out there because it's just a, a commitment I made to, to incorporate fitness as a, as a part of my life. Initially, because I was going to die, and now for a, com- a completely different set of reasons. And it's, I think it's really common among people who are on the couch or recently off the couch that you know they're the only ones who aren't enjoying it. But no one wants to get out of bed. No one wants, especially in the winter, like no one wants to leave a warm, comfortable bed for a cold swimming pool or, you know, a cold um, road run. I mean, you know, you kind of get back to the reason why more than the how. You know what I mean? So by, by that, I mean, nobody really likes to do all the training. And a lot of times really high endurance events are really not even fun while you're doing them. But what you do fall in love is the person who you become as a result of doing it. You know yeah, what I, mean? I, would, I would have to agree with that. I, I haven't you know, thought of it that because way. Because you're, what you're doing is this discipline of commitment to yourself. All right. And after a while, you find this, this love in the community that you get that reinforces why you do it. You get the sense of accomplishment um, that you almost can't get anywhere else. You know, because it's something you did on this whole kind of physical, organic level. You can't buy it. You can't rent it. Nobody can give it to you. You have to earn it. And when you do that, your self-worth, you know, you're invested in your self-worth. Then after a while, it's just, that's who I am. That's what I do. And there's a there's kind of this m- momentum in that mentally. You know, that you're, it's not a question of whether you're going to do it or not. It's just going to, how long is it going to take? Because you're totally yeah. in, invested in yourself. And, and, you know, that sense of accomplishment, it permeates the other parts of your life. Um, I know when we first started Kinetic Heights, we worked a lot of long hours. Yeah, I mean, we spent, you know, 18-hour days here, you know, before our fitness program go you know, got started, I would come in and teach the 6 a.m. class and stay all day and teach a class at night. And so uh, I can remember one of my employees um, looking at me and saying, dude, I don't know how you work as many hours as you work. And I looked at him and I said, dude, I'm an Iron Man. And so you don't understand how much of a psychological um, shift that occurs when you accomplish something like that. It just changes how you look at life, it changes how you look at yourself in a positive way. 
Man, because yeah. the harder the fight, the more rewarding the, the achievement becomes. Yeah, and I never, ever, ever would have been able to foresee that day back in, in May of 2015. I mean, it was only 18 months that had gone by, but it was like a whole separate lifetime in many ways. Yeah. And you know, the reason those people are sitting in the stands waiting for you to come in is because they've been there. Yeah, and they and they also special. understand how much hard it is to do it when you're first starting out, because it's a whole new um, experience for you. Like even folks that are accomplished, I talk to athletes all the time from from polar sponsored athletes down to you know rookies, and we all fight the same fight. You know, um, am I good enough? What am I going to do? You worry, but the thing that shifts after doing an Ironman is that you stop listening to the negative self-talk. It's still there and you still hear it inside your head but you make a conscious choice to not act on it where in the past maybe you said yeah, you know, it's going to be too hard I don't think I'm going to do it. Now, having done it and as hard as it is you're more aware of how difficult it is, but you make a conscious choice to say, you know what, I'm worth the effort that it takes to do this. Yeah, I mean, I say, I don't say those words, but I say variations on those words that really have that meaning behind it. Like, like I, I will very often um, wake up in the morning and not feel like, like working out. And, you know, this year I gave myself a lot of leeway for that because I had a lot of things to recover from. Um, but when those injuries healed and it was time, you know, uh, the negative self-talk didn't have a lot of power. It's like, you know, well, I know you don't feel like doing it, but it's kind of too bad because it's on training peaks. So we're going to do it and you'll just have to live with that. And, and, you know, oftentimes I would kind of drag myself kicking and screaming, you know, in, in, in our first episode of this podcast, my friend Josh said that he felt like a schizophrenic, you know, like in his training because of all the inner, not monologues, but dialogues that he would have with himself, you know, both of like on the, on the trainer or on the treadmill or in the pool, like, you know, for master swim, like, and, and, uh, I mean, he's right in a way, like there's a, but the whole, but you know, we have that anyways. We always have that, that voice in our head that tells us that we can't always. And it takes a lot of physical movement, I think, to create the emotional transition into believing that we can. And that, that's really what you started with me in 2015. Yeah. You know, so really amazed, um, at the transformation that I saw happen. Um, you know, I've worked with so many people over in the past, uh, but your situation was a unique situation. I mean, it really was purposeful enough to be life and death. I felt that way, for sure. Yeah, and, and it was. It really was. I mean, I've worked with a lot of people that come and say, hey, I want to do an Ironman, or I want to do a Spartan, or I want to get in shape, and it's great. And the fear of failure... Uh, it's like, okay, if I don't do this, I'm just going to be out of shape. What you had to deal with was, if I don't do this, it doesn't end well for me. You know? So, that was a unique situation that I hadn't dealt with before. 
And so luckily all the years of experience of working with folks and having this kind of foundational attitude about mindset, which I still do um, to this very day, I think it is absolutely the difference in anybody. Because you can get your body to do anything, but your mind has to lead the way and it begins with that conversation that you have with yourself. So what I'd like to do is wrap up by taking that thought and and how would you express that to someone who who doesn't have the life or death situation imminently, but like we all, I I believe, have that when we're on the couch, that life or death situation is out there. You don't know when that ticking time bomb is going to go off, but it is going to go off at some point. Now, I, I knew that too for me years before I was diagnosed and I procrastinated. What would you say to someone in that situation to help encourage them to make that transition? I think that, you know, you may not have a life and death, um, a real life and death kind of experience like you had. Um, but we do have this, what kind of person do I want to be? What kind of life do I want to have? You know, and so it needs to be as urgent about, you know, the goals that you have in life, the things that you want to be, the person. I think that what really drives me is, you know, um, how do I want to show up in the world? How do I want my daughter to see me? How do I want the people in my life to experience me? Um, And that's a huge motivator for me. I think it, it absolutely, and so if we can get out of who we are and think about the people around us and how when we're better, they're better too, I think that, you know, it's not life and death, but it certainly is really meaningful, and when we get out of this conversation about being about me and about something bigger, then that's the difference. I think that really, for me, that's why I do a lot of the charity work that I do, um, paying it forward. You know, I don't have a life and death thing because I've been an athlete my whole life. But I think that helping others has become that life and death thing for me. That that I'm going to have a legacy of my life. And so for me to keep up with all the stuff that I want to do, I need to make that commitment to myself to do it every single day. You know, reading that book, um, Younger Next Year, I think if, if you read that if you read that book and you really sit back and think about it, um, it is really about life and death. You know, it is what kind of life do you want to live? Do you want to be around to see your grandkids? Maybe it's not life and death right now, but my daughter was born a little later in life for me and um, that gets me out of bed in the morning to be around to see her have a family and a kid. And, and so I find my own kind of life and death thing. And you got to find that thing in your life that's important enough for you to fight for. And it's, you know, for you it happened to be staying alive. But now it's different. That's, yep, it's that's gone now. Yep. And you now have to find that thing that's going to light your fire. And so you search it and you find purpose in your life. And you find something that's worth fighting for, and you fight for yourself in order for that to happen. So, I mean, I would say, come back to the statement I said a little bit earlier, which is, 
the reason why you do stuff, whether it's an Ironman or it's a Spartan or it's just a 5K, your first 5K. I had a lady the other day did her first 5K. You would have thought she won election to the presidency because she was so happy about taking that step and actually accomplishing the thing that she had set out to do. And that we don't believe we can do. And then you do it and your whole outlook on life shifts. And then, and then it's what's next, you know? And, um, so I would say find a really important why because you're going to need it to be stronger than the obstacles that show up in front of you. And they're going to be big ones. You know, it might not be life and death, but there's going to be a time when you're going to have to choose. Am I going to keep running and finish this thing? Or am I going to stop and slink off to the side somewhere? And after a while, you value yourself enough to, that you know, I'm worth it. I'm worthy. I'm going to walk it if I have to, but I'm going to get to that finish line because I know what that symbolizes for me. That means I've overcome myself. Plato says the biggest victory in the world is conquering yourself. And so, you know, to, to finish this off is, you know, being purposeful is the foundation for any kind of transformation. You know, when people have, and so I commend you. I think, you know, having that experience with you and sharing it, I learned from it. And I incorporated in all the work I do now. I work with special needs and all this other stuff. I've, I've, my next kind of thing is this kind of flow science of high performance and the power of your mind and how to... And so my journey is intertwined with your journey. I see you accomplish these amazing things. I can't wait to hear about what the next thing is that you're up to and to see that little twinkle in your eye when you talk about it and... And for you to feel um, empowered and, and feel um, strong in who you are and, and the value that you have to the people around you, I mean, that's just incredible. So congratulations on doing that. And if you can share what you've learned with other people, it takes it to a whole other level of purposefulness. And I think that that's your next challenge. Well, that's, that's the whole purpose of upoffthecouch.com and these podcasts. And that is, um, those are really powerful words. And I hope they can inspire someone else the way they inspired me back in May of 2015 and really continue to, to this day with, with everything I do. Um, Jim, this is great. Thank you very much for contributing to the podcast. I'm glad to. And um, we'll be back next time. Thank you.